know his signature pitch is the slider, but if it's going to be the slider, it has to be in the strike zone for a long time. Astros down to their last strike. Leclerc's 3-2 pitch. Got him! And the Texas Rangers keep on rolling with game one in the championship series, two to nothing over the Astros. Well, the Texas Rangers, Kevin Barker, have basically, it seems at least, just decided that regular season record doesn't matter and they're just gonna go out and they're just gonna go out and beat you. I mean, they basically eliminated the AL East. Now they uh, take a one-nothing lead on the Houston Astros. Lots to talk about after that game and lots to talk about ahead of game one of the NLCS tonight. Larry Boa will join us to do that. David Murphy, Rangers analyst, along in a few minutes to talk about last night's 2 nothing win for the Rangers over Justin Verlander and the Houston Astros. And Kevin, let's start with something that I know is close to your heart, and that's base running. Because, Kevin, base running in the majors is... Atrocious? Pretty much. The hell was Jose Altuve doing last night? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, it's like one of those T-ball games that I used to go to when I, when I was growing up. And I only went to a couple, Jeff, because I hit the ball too hard and they wouldn't let me play in that league yeah, very course, long. Right. But but it was it was sort of like whenever, you know, one of the young kids did something he wasn't supposed to do or she wasn't supposed to do. And the coach called timeout and actually had a teaching moment during the baseball game. And whenever you looked over at Dusty Baker after he saw the 13-year veteran in Jose Altuve, oh, oh by the way, almost has a hundred games in postseason play, <laughs> ran the bases like he's playing T ball. You could tell Dusty Baker wanted to basically call timeout and come out there and have a teaching moment. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean it's basically the biggest moment of the game. You're at home. The play is right in front of you. It's not like it's behind you down the right field line to where you actually have to make the turn around second base. No, you just run up to second base, put your little foot on top of it, see if he catches it. If he catches it, turn around, run back to first. If he doesn't, the ball trickles away. You make the turn, run to third. I don't understand. Like it just, it amazes me that you see dudes with this much experience basically forget or just don't care enough. Maybe I was the only guy that cared enough about my job and didn't like riding buses in double-A that I knew I had to be almost perfect on the bases. And then you see things like this, especially with Jordan Alvarez up, you're down two to nothing. You know, you want that one at bat if you're dusty to where your best hitter can change the game or at least, you know, tie the game and, and give yourself a chance to win it later. Yeah, it's 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 atrocious. It's just a friendly reminder that if you watch long enough, even the dudes that's been around forever will screw that part of baseball up. There's yeah, my little rant. How was it? It was tremendous, and it was great. Nice. It was great because it is his ballpark. It's the only part of the park where that that play can be made. Uh, there's, you know, every now and then you can look at something like that and go, okay, well, maybe he thought this, maybe he thought that. That that's one of those plays where there's no excuse. Like there's, there just isn't an excuse. And I mean, it was a great play by Evan Carter, was but. It? But it wasn't. Well, I was going to say. I mean, it, okay, it was a good play. But I mean, it's not yeah. like it was a. It, it, it's not out of the. Put it this way: If I said to you, "Oh, 
that ball's going to be hit there, and Evan Carter's going to catch it. You probably would have said, "Yeah, I can see that." Like, thousand percent was, of the time, he should catch there, that. Yeah, there was no, there was really, there was absolutely no excuse for it. Now, having said that, a couple of things stand out about this game: the pitching. One, our friend Jeff Passon pointed out, "Did I read this right? Did did Justin Verlander get seven whiffs yesterday?" Yeah, uh, they. I mean. It looked to me, well, I mean, he's been around a long time, so you might know what he's what he's going to throw. But Kevin, I, I it, it looked to me like it looked to me like Texas was almost thinking along with him. Yeah, the the, the Rangers faced three different pitchers. The Astros had twelve whiffs, throwing a hundred twenty-seven wow. pitches. Wow. So yeah, I, I don't know what that says. I don't know if that says something about the the. The the game planning for the the Rangers was that good. The Rangers bat to ball skills one through nine is that good. Or the Astros pitching staff, quite frankly, don't get a ton of swing and miss. I don't know what that means. You know, I'm going to look at it as probably the quality of of game one just being stuff wise. Right, you're more worried about you know controlling and not allowing the big inning, and you want to attack the strike zone, and you know it's not the later longer tunneling and have the late break on normal stuff that you'd have in a regular season game. I don't know who to sort of give the credit to there. I just know they only had 12 swing and misses, and yeah. if they continue to only have 12 swing and misses, they're probably going to go home early. Like, you're going to need some punch-outs. Like, in those big moments, we mentioned this coming in, what do the Rangers do better than most, especially in the postseason? Those two-out, two-strike hits with traffic, they are really good at that, and that's when you need to swing and miss. So that may be something you look for here going down the road. And Framber Valdez, quite frankly, sinker hasn't been real good. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you're an Astros fan, you might be a little worried about that too. Uh, the Texas Rangers got a good lineup. Boy, they got yeah. two dudes up front who just smother you. Really, you don't know how to pitch to either one of them. And you kind of forget about the rest of the lineup. And I think that's, you know, and then when you forget about the rest of the lineup, sometimes you throw a two-strike cement mix and slider right down the middle and the dude hitting in a nine-hole goes back Lake City. So, yeah, it's going to be a good series. Like you can tell these two teams don't like each other. Uh, they're they're trying to play for the giant inning. And for some reason or the other, the the pitching staff for the Rangers all of a sudden wanted to show up in the playoffs, which is kind of, you know, if you're a Rangers fan, fan kind of nice and, and and fun to watch. So, yeah, it's going to be a good series. Yeah, the uh, the depth of their lineup, the length of their lineup is what really has stood out to me. Now, we, we talked about Evan Carter. Uh, we saw him, of course, that series in Toronto, uh, throwing out Kevin Kiermaier, hitting a home run. Um, you look at him and what he's contributing – uh, you look at Tavares, you look at Adolis Garcia, uh, Jonah Heim. I, that that really is. I, I almost feel I, I almost feel guilty because I think I've undersold how how lengthy that lineup is. It, it's a hard group to pitch through, and then you got Josh Young there as well. I, they're it's just a really hard group to navigate through. Yeah, it's one thing to have balance in your lineup, right? It's it's a, it's another thing that your balance is really really good. Yeah, that, that you know, sort of that's. I think that's what the 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 front office for the Blue Jays forgot to add was really really good. Like it was, you know, you throw in a couple of lefties. All right, that's fine and dandy, but are they really really good? Yeah, they're not as good as the Rangers and and the balance of of the other teams that are in the playoffs. So yeah, I think that's for me. 
you know, if you're an opposing manager, like Framber Valdez, Dusty Baker tonight, he, he facing that team third time through. Like the sinker hasn't been real mm. good. He's he's had to throw the change up mm. in the cutter a little bit more. Uh, you know, because of the balance, I'm sure some of the lefties may not be in there that's normally in there. But he has options now, right? He can go do a he can go on the bench and bring off some better hitters who can hit velocity and and who are not going to swing and miss, which is the key here. So yeah, it's. Right, I, I I think some of us thought, and maybe I was one of them, that the Astros this wouldn't be too hard. Right, I know the the Rangers are pretty good, but with what the pitching looked like for the Rangers, you thought maybe the Astros. Yeah. Right, if Tucker figured it out, if Bregman started hitting with the other dudes around those two guys, that would be a tall order because of the pitching that the that the Rangers had. But now that you look at it, man, it's just it's just screamed six or seven games. I want to talk to you about Jordan Montgomery in a minute, but. Um... Kyle Tucker has not had great postseasons in the past two postseasons, I should say. Uh, I know that you're a big, we're all big fans of Kyle Tucker, but you picked this guy out really early in his career. You liked his approach. You liked the swing. You liked everything about him. Just out of interest, sake, you see anything different from him in, in, in the postseason? Yeah, I think he's trying too hard. Like that, you know, there's expectations around him to, you know, there's, there's, Alvarez and there's another lefty on that team, right? Mm -hmm. And it's Kyle Mm -hmm. Tucker. And I think if we start saying that, Kyle Tucker will start saying it to himself. And, you know, Dusty Baker will start reminding him that, you know, he's a really good player too. I think that's what it is. It has nothing to do with the way they're pitching. He's getting good pitches to hit. Maybe he's overswinging. Maybe he's trying to pull too many balls. You know, if you get out of your your own way sometimes, think left center. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be all right. But Nathan Avaldi's not an easy get either. So, not going to be the easiest to say. I know he's two for 18 in, this, in, in the playoffs this year, which two for 18 can jump up on you when khakis are game planning for you yep. and trying to pitch around you and let you get yourself out and on top of you trying too hard. So, yeah, it just adds a lure to the to the series that now can the other guys in the, in the lineup for the Astros step it up when one of your better guys is not doing it? Now, Jordan Alvarez and Jordan Montgomery. I mean, obviously, the base running mistake, the home run by Texas, those stand out. But Jordan Montgomery really had Jordan Alvarez's number last night. Um, what did you make of that? It seemed pretty seemed pretty straightforward, right? Just uh, Jonah Heim, as a matter of fact, told uh, told Hazel after the game that their big sort of their the master plan, if you want to call it that, was just don't let him get those arms extended. Keep 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 pitching them inside, sinkers inside. Yeah, well, I think you got to do that early. Like, like, you can't abuse that. If you abuse that to a great hitter, I mean, he's a great hitter. We can stop saying he's a good hitter. Mm-hmm. He's a great hitter. You have to set it up, right? That, that I think, is if you, are, if you can do that and you can think quadrants and you can think that imaginary line that you're trying to, if you're going to miss in there, you got to make sure you miss to that imaginary line. And Montgomery did that really good in his first at bat, right? He attacked in. He gets you thinking in there where – you know, it's got an extra gear. For whatever reason, 93 doesn't look 93. It's it's playing up, and you can see that with the swings they're taking on how late they are, and he can throw the change up the elevated fastball and the big yacker that he has. So, yeah, I think it's how you establish it. you got to establish it in your first bat. I've said this when you're hitting, 
right? If I take that first fastball that he throws me, slap that thing into right center, now I can guess and have better educated guesses later in the game because of what I did my first best. Pitching's no different. I think that's where it starts, right? It's one thing to do it when you're left-handed. It's another thing to do it when you're right-handed. That'll be the thing. Is a lefty can get it in there because it's got a nice little natural run to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's harder to catch that thing timing-wise a little bit more out front. If you do hit it squared up, you're going to pull it foul instead of keeping it fair. So it's cat and mouse. It was, it was a good game. That's what I said. I think that's sort of sh- shining the spotlight on the bad, atrocious base running a little bit more because you get right. that dude out of the, out of the game. You bring in a dude that basically you know what you're getting a bazillion miles an hour. I look right down the middle because he's effectively wild occasionally, and give him a chance to run into one that didn't happen. But as he's like, love the playoffs. It's just things like that, games like this, at bats like those, base running blunders like that that sort of change the series. And absolutely, that's it's why it's big cool. moments. Yeah. Um, and uh, our friend Jeff Passon, who will join us later this week, had a, had a, has an interesting article on uh, on Jordan Montgomery. He was a free agent, by the way, but just talking about his pitching and talking about some of the analytics around his pitching. It's it's. Not just another one of those analytic stories, but it is kind of interesting how basically there's like half an inch difference in where he delivers the baseball from and all his pitches. You know, you talk about dudes tunneling and things of that nature. It is if you see the graphics of him throwing, it is literally impossible to notice a difference in 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 where the ball is released. And that's got to be really hard. That's got to be really hard because he's, he's not a short dude either. No, and it looks like he's got a little late giddy up, an extra gear to his fastball, right? It's not an electric 98, 99. It's 93, 94. He'll locate that. Then he got the later two-seamer that runs into a lefty away to a righty. He can throw the changeup that has sort of the same tumbling, good arm speed on that. And it's the breaking ball. When you got the breaking ball, you can locate the heater. You're going to be tough and good for the Rangers. They went out and got him, and he's doing exactly what they expected him to do. Yeah, boy, the Rangers have really put together. They've really put together their team. There's no doubt about that. 437 Eastern will be the first pitch of Game 2 of the Texas-Houston series this afternoon. The National League Series gets going at 8 o'clock tonight. David Murphy is the Texas Rangers analyst, former Rangers outfielder, joining us now in Blair and Barker. David, thanks so much for taking time out to to talk to us today. Look, I'd be remiss... If I said that I spent a great deal of attention following the Texas Rangers this year, although I must admit in the postseason I've kind of started to really pay closer attention to them. Kevin and I were talking about they had 12 whiffs yesterday against four different Houston pitchers. Three different pitchers. Sorry, three different Houston pitchers, uh, including obviously Justin Verlander. Is that their MO? Is that something they've done a lot this year? That's a good question. That's something that I really haven't kept a, a ton of tabs on. But um, you know, Verlander's obviously going to be a tough arm. Um, but it was just it was a fun game to watch. I mean, Montgomery was was phenomenal. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's just it's great how you know Scherzer was the headliner. You know, he was the guy that the Rangers went to get, and Montgomery ends up being the guy that's that's really just been phenomenal down the stretch. David, how about Jose LeClerc in the in the ninth inning? You know, I would think it would be easier 
for for Boach if he could work backwards, right, for the ninth inning. Uh, and then you figure out your matchups, eighth inning, seventh inning. Hopefully it's only a couple of guys if your starter's going a little deeper in games. When you got the ninth inning, it just seems easier. Is that sort of what you're seeing? And, you know, once you got that guy, you can match up and, and sort of, you know, if you need lefties, you go to lefties. If you need righties, you go to righties, that kind of thing. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, you know, Leclerc, the, the stuff has never been in question. You know, maybe it's the, the mentality a little bit. You obviously love uh, having having a closer, just just being a little bit, uh, I don't know, maybe for lack of a better word, just eccentric and, uh, and a guy that is not going to back down from that situation. So I feel like for Jose, he's kind of had to step into that situation and he's shown a, a lot of confidence here in the postseason you know he's blowing 98 last night you know he's developed a cutter over time um so the, the stuff is, is no question uh but he's in the strike zone and and he's been great Araldis chapman obviously has a, a a great history of just being a a great pitcher in the regular season and the postseason and uh you know and, and there's some other guys that have gotten opportunities they went to josh Forbes last night so yeah absolutely they're gonna they're gonna play matchups when they can, um, and man, to, to shut out that Houston offense, I know that that they haven't performed that well at home this year. But um, you know, step one in, in the right direction, just winning winning game one is just huge. How much you think the extra full day? Nathan Avaldi's got five full days. I would think thirty three year old, you know, had some injuries. Yeah, he's he's a max effort guy. He's going to give it to you. Like, yeah, this is game two, and they're facing who they're facing. What do you expect uh, from him tonight? A lot of what we've seen throughout the postseason, a lot of his what his track record and resume has shown throughout um, history. You know, he was a World Series hero for the Red Sox back in two thousand eighteen. Um, and, and this is a guy who he had forearm issues. He was activated against these Astros in early September when he probably wasn't ready, but uh, the Rangers were scuffling enough to where they needed somebody to, to stop the bleeding, and that didn't help. I believe that was the game where Altuve hit three homers, um, but the velocity was down and the stuff wasn't what it was um, in, in the first half of the season, which led to him being an all-star. So sure enough, we get to the postseason and this is a veteran guy who knows his body. He built up the right way, and now he's back up 96, 97. The velocity is there. And when that velocity is there, it makes it a lot harder to deal with the cutter, to deal with uh, the splitter that's been his main off-speed pitch. So, um, man, the, that, that's why velocity is such a key in Major League Baseball today because you can talk off-speed as much as you want. Look at Jordan Montgomery last night. The reason why his off-speed stuff works so well is because he was able to establish that fastball 92 to 94 on the inside corner against a lot of those right-handed hitters uh, or against Jordan Alvarez. Man, uh, Jordan, for for a, a guy that y- you can say that his splits aren't, aren't as strong against lefties, but they're still great uh, left on left. But I love the way that Montgomery attacked him and, and went in. So fat, fastballs and uh, being able to command it uh, every pitcher is going to play off it, and Nivaldi included. I've got to think if you're Texas as well. You look at that win last night, and obviously Jordan Montgomery's pitching, huge. Uh, you know, Jose Altuve's base running gaff, huge. But the production you got, or not the production, but the plays you got, I should say, from other dudes in the lineup, whether it was Tavares or, or you know, Evan Carter, who, um, you know, had to cover... Yeah, to cover a lot of ground out there, and a guy that we saw in that series against the Blue Jays kind of kind of 
jumped our attention right away when he threw out Kevin Kiermaier and hit a home run. This lineup is, there's a lot more length to this lineup, I think, isn't there, than than, than people than people talk about. I mean, this is more than Simeon Seeger and Adolis Garcia. Yeah, and they can beat you in a lot of ways, and they've thrown it, shown it throughout the course of the postseason. And, you know, in a perfect example of that, they Josh Young, uh, he was hitting in the middle of the lineup, mainly fifth throughout the course of the season. A lot of times he'd hit third or fourth uh, against lefties because he had such a good season against lefties. But after coming off the injured list and struggling, you know, the last two weeks or so of the season, they move him down to eighth. And, I mean, this, you don't want to face that guy hitting eighth. And then you got Leoti hitting right behind him who, you know, it's not like he's putting up MVP-type numbers in the nine hole, but – when you're getting 260, 270 with 14 homers during the regular season out of the nine hole, you'll definitely take it. And that's the reason why Marcus Simeon, you know, drove in 100 runs. There's only been five leadoff hitters in the history of baseball to drive in 100 in the course of a regular season. Three of them happened this season, and one of them was Marcus Simeon. Hmm. Hey, uh, what are the expectations for Max Scherzer, and how important do you think for Bruce Bochy was it to get, you know, to have Jordan Montgomery basically, other than that 28 pitch first inning basically have it was a low drama start right I mean you got him out when you wanted to get him out your bullpen came in they did the job now you got Evaldi you know that he's a postseason stud this really lines up nicely doesn't it for for Boach in terms of when he wants to use Max Scherzer 100 percent um you know I have not been around the team enough to really understand the you know what they expect from him um if you know, if, they, if he gets out there as a starter, I can imagine they just get him five innings or so and then go to the bullpen. But he's got enough of a track record where, obviously, um, you know, you hope he can be Max Scherzer on his A game and go six or seven innings. But, um, you know, you, you love the intensity and the fire. And, and going back to what we talked about of just step one was winning game one. And you, you put yourself in more of a driver's seat and you give yourself uh, a little bit of margin for error when it comes to something like that, because even though you're talking about Scherzer and being a future hall of famer uh, and all those things, there's gotta be still some hesitancy of uh, him, you know, being injured. Everybody said he was going to be shut down for the season and missed the playoffs. And now he's back. So, you know, what, are, what do we really expect from, from him health wise? But, you know, if they're able to, to win this one and, and they're up to nothing. Yeah. That, that definitely gives them some, some margin for error. And, and Max is a smart enough, pitcher with enough uh, enough history to where he'll use that to his advantage. David, what do you think the, the approach should be against Framber Valdez because the Rangers are so aggressive one through nine in the order? When Valdez is good, obviously it's late sinking, right? And it's out of the strike zone when a hitter is swinging at it. But here, second half, that, that thing's just not been sinking. The location's been bad. He's using change-ups and cutters a little bit more. You know, an aggressive lineup with the Rangers. You think this is a tough matchup for them to just sort of take what he gives them? You know, it's okay to work counts because we didn't see that last night from the Rangers. Yeah, well, they've had plenty of success against him uh, throughout the course of the season. He's had some success against them as well, but that's kind of the benefit of playing, you know, a, a matchup within your division. Uh, you know, early on, the pitcher typically has the advantage, but the more you see him, the more you face him, um, the more you're in the box against him and actually see how his stuff moves, the hitter kind of develops a little bit more of an advantage and a little bit more of an advantage. So, 
you know, the, the Rangers and, you know, uh, Donnie Ecker, who is their offensive coordinator, they're so good at coming up with game plans. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to give anything away. There's been, you know, a particular pitcher early on in the season where, you know, they knew he, he wanted to go in. So take away the, the early or the excuse me, the, uh, the inside part of the plate from him. Look away. So when they have that type of game plan, and I've seen it executed multiple times, that's just one example. Um, so I'm sure they're going to have a, a similar approach against Fromber when they meet and have their hitters meeting today. And I think the key is if, they're, if, if they want to fire early and be aggressive, then do damage. Um, but make sure to lay off the pitches you're supposed to lay off. I mean, I, this is kind of cliche and just, you know, generally speaking, I, it's pretty obvious. But Fromber, you know, if he's in the middle of the zone, um, you know, beat him up in the middle of the zone. And obviously just, I think just if, uh, if the guy's up front, if your Simeon, your Seager, your Garver can set the table, I think that's going to uh, do wonders for the rest of the lineup. Yep. David, really good of you to join us today. Terrific insight, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yep, always enjoy, guys. Thanks. Be well. That is uh, David Murphy, Texas Rangers analyst. Uh, former Rangers outfielder. Again, game two of that series from Houston will be a 4:37 first pitch this afternoon. Game one of the NLCS is 8:07. Larry Boa joins us in a few minutes to break that down. And Kevin, how how great was it to have a postseason game end before the NFL game was over? I was thinking about that last night. Game is over. It's not 12.45 a.m. It wasn't a four-hour and five-minute game or anything like that. Uh, I've been interested in seeing how baseball's new rules would translate into the postseason. Um, And, look, I I don't know what I expected because clearly the clock is in play more than it's been in the past. past. But, man, that... that, uh, that was nice. That was nice to have a crisp game, you know, a game where you can have a lot of stuff to talk about, a game where there's a lot of stuff to break down. I, I just really enjoyed that. Just yeah, I, mean, back to, to, I think the game's in a good place in that yeah, one. Yeah, they've hit a home run when it comes to, to the rule changes. For me, I think that's two lineups trying to stay away from dude's secondary pitches. They, they are really mm-hmm. good. That's Once fair. they get deeper in counts – they are really good at adding and subtracting and, and throwing really good secondaries and having it end up where, where you know, they want it to go. So it was, they were very aggressive, which is exactly what you have to do against good pitching. I'm with you. It's just uh, uh, this sort of matchup today with Valdi and, and Framber Valdez. I, I just wonder how the two liners are going to attack that. You got one dude of max effort guy that's going to come after you, thinks he's better than you are. You got one guy who sometimes can't get out of his own way. You got a lineup that he's facing who is very aggressive and wants to put balls in play on the line to the big part of the field early and count. So something's got to give. And I think that is the cat and mouse and the – you know, sort of. If you're the opposing pitcher, you're the you're the manager. How do you, you know, how do you stay away from the big inning, give your lineup a chance, and not make the dumb mistake when you're supposed to not be making the dumb mistake? And that's his two best teams in the American League going at it, which is kind of fun to watch. Well, the focus will shift tonight to the National League Championship Series uh, in Philadelphia, as the Arizona Diamondbacks get set to take on the Phillies. The Diamondbacks working out in Arizona this week, Kevin. 
had noise pumped into the ballpark when they were working out to try to replicate the fan noise you're going to see the Citizens Bank Park. One, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> and two, I, I mean, I don't know how I necessarily how I necessarily feel about that. I think that that might be, you know, you you've talked about this a lot. Sometimes just get out of your own way, get out of your own head. It is what it is. You know, you got two dudes, Christian Walker and Zach Gallen, who are both from there. So they're kind of they're probably going to know what to expect. Um, it's going to be a terrific series. I think it's going to be a better series than a lot of people think it will be. I still think Philly's going to win. But uh, if you look at the the season this year, and there was one game I think Philly won fifteen three. Other than that, it's been close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been close. There were a couple of walk offs. I'm sorry, one walk off. The Diamondbacks actually won two of three games in Philadelphia this year. The game they lost wasn't a walk-off, so it could be a lot closer than people think. Larry Boa is the former Phillies shortstop coach and manager. He was the National League Manager of the Year in 2001. Larry Boa joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Game one of the National League Championship Series goes tonight at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. And, uh... The numbers... Phillies are 26 and 11 at home in the postseason since that park opened in 2002. They're 10 and 2 in the past two seasons. They have a run differential of plus 40. Think about that. In that time, the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks are the next team to step into the cauldron, and they prepared for it by, as we mentioned before the break. Um, Piping crowd noise into their workouts at their own ballpark. I don't know how I feel about that. Let's see how uh, Larry Boa, former Philly shortstop coach and manager, 2001 National League Manager of the Year. Let's see what he feels about it as he joins us in Blair and Barker. Larry, good to talk to you again. Uh, trust that you're doing well. Look, I, I, I've covered a lot of sports, and I've always thought home field advantage in baseball usually comes down to one who's pitching, and two, you know, the dimensions of the park, some of the funkier things that can happen and how your team is built for a specific park. But uh, the, the Phillies and their fans, are, they, they're kind of getting me to reevaluate that based on what I've seen in this postseason. Do they, are they really having an effect, do you think? No doubt. Uh, I, I believe what you said earlier, I didn't think baseball had an advantage except for the pitcher, but uh, it's a definite advantage for us. Uh, the, these people get there two and a half, three hours before the game, and they're on their feet, uh, first pitch to last pitch. Uh, you can pipe in all the noise you want. You're never going to get the effect of the real deal that's happening. And it's very intimidating, especially for a team like uh, Arizona coming in with all these young guys that have not experienced this. So they're in for something that they've never seen before. You know, I read where they said, well, we played in front of the Dodgers, a full house. Well, I coached out in L.A., and they come in the third and leave in the seventh. So it's completely different uh, <laughs> uh, atmosphere. If they want to compare apples and oranges, this is uh, this goes to another level. And these fans are they're ready. 
believe me, they're ready. And, and our ball club is hitting on all cylinders right now. I, I wouldn't, if I wasn't involved in Philly, I wouldn't want to play the Phillies right now, especially in this ballpark. Larry, what about when you're the favorite? I, I, I don't remember the last time when the Phillies were a favorite going into a series like they are with this one. Is, is uh, I, What do you do when you're the manager, when you're the front office, or do you not do anything? You just stay out of the way and you got enough veteran guys on that team that will go out and not try too hard? Because I would think that's the thing, right, is when you're the favorite, sort of everybody's telling you that you're better than that other team. And, and sometimes you may just go out and – you know, do things that you normally don't do. How do you think that's going to affect this team? Yeah, you're right about that. I didn't even think about that. We haven't been favored too many times in these playoffs. And, um, I mean, the mentality of this team is we do have a lot of veterans that have been through it. Last year was a great learning experience for guys like Bohm and Stott um, and Marsh. Uh, you know, to me, they, they that experience uh, that they went through last year really filtered in this year as to how we played the whole year. We don't panic. Uh, Rob Thompson's done a great job with this team. Uh, I don't think there's too many words that have to be said before this, but it is unusual that as much as we've dominated in the playoffs the last two years, that this might be the first time that we are a favorite for the whole series. And uh, I, But I don't think it's going to affect our team just for the fact that we've been through it and we have some veterans on that team that can take care of business. But uh, uh, it's going to be interesting because, uh, hey, Arizona's got a good team. There's no question about that. They got two real good starting pitchers in Kelly and Gallon, and uh, they're playing with a lot of confidence. I think a lot of that playoff uh, atmosphere has to do with confidence. We're very confident with our team, and I'm sure Arizona's confident with their team. Basically, Arizona's playing with house money. No one expected yeah. them to be this far. So uh, we're going to see how that plays out. But I don't think the fact that we're favored is going to affect the way we play. One of the things I'm really interested about in this series is, you know, I've talked a little bit about how baseball's undergone a change this year. The wider base, or I'm sorry, the bigger bases, there was supposedly going to be more base running. But, uh, man, you've got teams here. You've got two catchers who are terrific defensive catchers. You've got Trey Turner, who has not been thrown out since he's joined the Phillies, and that includes the regular season and the postseason. You've got Corbin Carroll, who you know set a rookie record for, or I should say, came close to setting a, a rookie record for stolen bases. I, do you think the base paths are going to be an important part of this series, Larry? Yeah, I do. I do. You know, the, the thing about Arizona, they have a lot of young kids that are very athletic. Uh, uh, even even the, the center fielder, Thomas, runs very good. Uh, as you said, Carroll runs real good. Marte, they, I think there's going to be a lot of stolen, well, attempted stolen bases, I should say. I don't know if they're going to be successful but because you have two catchers that throw extremely well. But with this new rule and everything, uh, I think the advantage is definitely on base running, the base stealers, in fact. Uh, you know, I, I'm not all in on this throwing over twice, and if you don't get in the third time, it's a balk. Uh, especially when people try to compare people's stolen bases now than back when Lou Brock and Ricky Henderson and Vince Cole, all those guys that stole 80, 90 bases with the original rules. I, I don't even know what, how many bases they'd steal with these rules now that's, that they're going by. But uh, I do think stolen bases are going to be a factor in this, uh, in this series. And, uh, you know, it's going to be up to the pitchers to slide step, hold the ball, mess up the timing a little bit. you got to be careful throwing over there with base dealers twice because, you know, they're gone. 
so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I think it's going to be a good a good series. I don't think we're, I'm going to come in here and say, oh, we're going to sweep these guys, but I feel very confident that we're going to win this series. Larry, as someone who's had to make big decisions in games, both of these teams have, have young pitchers with – you know, who've emerged, well, one of them, Orion Kirkering's got great stuff. The other guy, Andrew Salfrank, just has emerged as Tori Lovello's go-to guy against left-handed, against left-handed hitters. How, how hard is it as a manager to trust a young guy without a huge body of work in the playoffs, especially as a reliever? Because right, they're not, they're not going to be able to come in and gradually work themselves into the game. If either of these dudes are in the game, it's going to be big. Oh, there's no question. It's going to be big. It's going to be real big. And the fact they got to throw to three hitters, that's why it's important how you set your lineup up. Uh, you know, it, everyone says, well, try not to keep two left-handed hitters together. Have a good right-handed hitter in between, especially if you're bringing in a left-handed uh, relief pitcher. So that's going to be important. The, the, the strategy is setting up your lineup. But, again, I, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse here. Uh, this Arizona group that's coming in, they have no idea the atmosphere that they're, they're going to be jumping into here. And uh, especially a team playing on the West Coast like Arizona, they play San Diego, they play L.A., they play San Francisco. For the most part, with the exception of maybe San Francisco, those, those crowds are really uh, – they don't really show a lot of emotion. Uh, and this, the, were these tonight – and when we start this series, uh, Arizona is going to see what's, what this is all about. Uh, and again, I don't think fans win baseball games for you. You know, somebody asked me why we're playing so good. One thing is the stars played like stars for us. And if you take a look at the Braves, their stars didn't even play except for Riley. The rest of them were shut down. Our pitching shut down that entire uh, offensive juggernaut they had there, except for Riley. And, um, uh, so I think it's going to be a good good series, but I also I'm very very confident in us going on to the next level. Larry, you got to clear something up for me. Trey Turner getting a standing ovation was not the only reason that turned his season around, was it? Like it, it's more than that, no. isn't it? There has to be something, you know, mechanically or mentally that he did differently, or was it just uh, he's embraced now? Like they are, he's a part of the. You know, Philadelphia fan base, and now he can go out and do his thing. Is that what it was? Yeah, I, th- I think they embraced him. Uh, you know, obviously when you sign that kind of contract and you get out of the gate real slow, especially in spring training when he went and, and played for the WBC, he dominated. I mean, he was hitting home runs every day. So the fan base here obviously thought this was going to just carry over into April, and it didn't. Uh, and, you know, when you sign a contract like that, no matter your makeup or uh, – how good you are. You want to impress the fan base. And he, I think he was really pressing a lot. There's no question the ovation helped him, but it didn't. That's not the reason that he kicked it in. I think it, it helped a little bit, the fact that they weren't booing and, and were on his side. This guy's a great athlete, and it was just a matter of time, really, before things started to kick in for him. And now uh, – I tell you what, he's as hot as anybody on our team, him and Harp. And I, mean, I can go through our whole lineup right now. Castellanos, um, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're swinging the bats ex- exceptionally well right now. But uh, Trey Turner, uh, I mean, he showed me a lot. He could have very easily said, you know what, I signed for nine, ten years here. I'm not having a good year. But he uh, kept uh, working and taking extra BP and uh, 
things eventually worked out. And now he's he's a tough out in our lineup right now. Larry, I think we understand the lineup. I think we understand the first two guys in the rotation. The bullpen, I think when you talk about the Phillies, that's sort of you know some unknowns there, right? You got to match up right. You got to make sure that the high octane velocity is in the zone. They're not predictable. Those kind of things. Is there a name in that pen that we don't talk about enough? Uh, I, I think Jeff Hoffman's a guy that <laughs> the only reason he's on the team is uh, you know when Harp was getting ready with uh, after his surgery, he wanted to face live pitching, and uh, so they brought Hoffman from AAA on a day off down here to throw. And uh, Harp hit off of him, and he wanted to know where this guy was and uh, why isn't he on the team. Uh, I guess he really impressed Harp, his stuff, when he was in the batter's box. And and before you knew it, uh, they activated him at the big league level <clears throat> because he did have a uh, an out clause. And we picked that out clause up before it expired. <clears throat> and he's been really, with the exception of one bad game, he's been lights out for us. Uh, and, you know, we got a bunch of guys down there we can go to as closers. That, that's what makes this, this uh, pitching staff really tough. I mean, you're talking about Alvarado who can come in, Sir Anthony Dominguez can do it, Kimbrell, uh, Soto, uh, you name it. We got lefties, we got righties, we got velocity. You know, the biggest negative during the course of the season, we had some guys coming in that had trouble throwing strikes. But since, I say, the beginning of September, these guys not only are throwing hard, but they're throwing strikes and they're quality strikes. So we got a lot of weapons down there that we can go to. The, the one, the one area I'm a little concerned about is the couple starters that we have not used at all in in Walker. Uh, Walker hasn't pitched in a while, and Sanchez. So we're going to have to go to our four man rotation basically, and we're going to see how that plays out. Uh, just before I let you run, one name that we haven't talked about, but. You know, it, it, he appears to be. It's almost as if he's doing for Philadelphia or becoming for Philadelphia what Christian Javier's become for Houston, and that's Ranger Suarez, who just seems to be. He, I mean, it's got to be such a luxury for Rob Thompson to know that after his two studs, he's got a guy who's he knows what he's going to get from Ranger Suarez, right? I mean, Suarez. you know exactly Suarez. what's going to get, and you know when you're going to yeah. have to take him out of the game. That's got to be such a luxury. Oh, it is big time. I, I look for this guy. Obviously, not this year. The year's almost over with a couple more uh, series. But I look for this guy to win fifteen to twenty games consistently, starting next year. I mean, he's got ice water in his veins. Nothing, nothing upsets him. He throws strikes. He changes speeds. He pitches in, uh, and to have him as your number three starter is a big, big plus for us. Uh, because on, on a lot of teams, this guy could be a number two, and maybe on some games, he could be a one. So to have him as your three starter in, in playoffs going into this series, and if we continue to move on going into a World Series, that's a big, big asset for us. No question about that. Larry, we're going to let you run. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, again, trust that you're keeping well. Enjoy the baseball. Yeah, have fun. All right, guys. You take care. Okay. Take care. Thank you. That's Larry Boa, the great Larry Boa, former mm-hmm. Philly shortstop, Phillies manager, 2001 manager of the year. Um, there's literally nothing that he hasn't uh, done in baseball. And Larry Boa, man, you want to talk about a Philly guy? Oh. A guy that punched you in the face at second base. <laughs> on the ta- uh, back when you were allowed to take dudes out, the oh. slide. Um, love, love, love Larry Boa. Terrific insight. Jeff Hoffman, by the way, I just find this so funny. That's such a great story about him coming 
showing up to throw BP to Bryce Harper and yeah. Harper saying, how come this guy's not out there every time? That's the guy the Jays traded to the Rockies for Troy Tulowitzki, by the way. One of the guys, yeah. if you're wondering how that, how that yeah. deal how that deal worked out. Kevin, I was as as Larry was talking, I was looking at the average velocity of their relievers. Oof. They don't have a dude under 97. No. And they have a lot of guys that are 98, 9, 99, 3, things of that. And this Orion Kirkering dudes just got this this pitch that nobody can see. Let a, the the one thing that concerns me about their bullpen and this is not this is something JT Realmuto actually talked about yesterday in the media availability they got a couple of guys that have difficulty with runners and base craig kimbrell has Mm -hmm. difficulty with runners and base jose alvarado can have difficulty with runners and base i think that's going to be a big part of this series because you know that the diamondbacks again if you're playing with house money you know they're going to they're going to go crazy on the base pass yeah i think you got to anyhow i think you got to remember for the most part they can't steal home like, you know, it's the Jordan Romano thing, right, where we've seen him try and slide step. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah. the stuff goes down. The location's atrocious. Like, he's hanging breaking balls. And, like, you don't want that. You want their best stuff, right? They have swing and miss stuff. Yeah. It's okay occasionally to give up a stolen base in a big moment when you're locked in on what you're trying to do to, to do to the plate, right? It's the Greg Maddox thing of, right, it's okay if you steal second. <laughs> you know, you're not stealing home, that kind of thing. So, I. I don't. I, again, it'll be a thing because they're talking about it. It's like going to your home stadium and cranking up the 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 stereo system. Like it's a thing now because you've made it a thing. Yeah. If you don't make it a thing, and just say stay within yourself, be who you are. Don't go outside the box. And if you do that because you have better stuff than to do at the plate, good things will happen to you and our team. So. Yeah, I, I I think maybe we're talking about this a little bit more than they are. I think you have to be aware of it. Just don't let it overcome you and you forget about what your ultimate goal is, which is to to get the dude out at the plate. Yeah, it's um, but it is it is intriguing because as I've said, you know, the Rogers Center's noisy in the postseason. We saw that atmosphere against the Texas Rangers. Uh you know, was it intimidating? I, it made it uncomfortable for the Rangers. We know, unfortunately, uh, that uh, Adam Jones had a, uh, you know, had a couple of situations at the Rogers Center where he didn't like what people were saying, were yelling at him. Um, but that, to me, is a little different than what you see in Philly. And I'm with you. I think you can make a big deal out of it. I don't think it costs you. The Atlanta Braves didn't lose because of the noise. The Atlanta Braves lost because a lot of their dudes just didn't show up. Like Ronald yep. Acuna Jr. had an, an awful series, just an awful series, and but I, I just wonder with Arizona, you know, especially with Pitchcom now, the communication back and forth, it's going to be noisy. You've got a young catcher in Moreno, you've got young pitchers Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly. I, I just wonder about about yeah, the think- impact that might have. I think Larry's right. They're playing with house money. I mean, why you go that's, in there and embrace that yeah. thing? Go in there and yeah. have fun with it. Like you know, you you have conversations with fans. Like that's that that makes it sort of fun. It gets you over the you know the bad part of being yelled at and called names. You're going to be that. Like it's, you know, it'll happen if you embrace it and know it's going to come. Like there will be no surprises once you actually get there. And again, I just think that playing with house money thing is is can be to the benefit of a bunch of young guys who are going in there thinking, yeah, you know what? 
Nobody really thinks we should be here anyway. Let's have some fun and let you talent know, and athleticism take over. Maybe good things may, will happen. Your question to Larry Boa about Trey Turner and the standing ovation was interesting because I did some reading on it. And actually, Trey Turner, uh, I think it was uh, it was – I don't know if it was Matt Gell, but it was somebody somebody with MLB.com, I think, did a terrific story. The the series in Phil in Miami before the standing ovation, uh, Turner went 0 for 5 and made a misplay in the field that cost them in a 9-8 loss to Miami. And you'll know where I'm going with this story. After that game, he and Kevin Long, the Phillies hitting coach, went down to the cage. And he just fed him pitches, fed him pitches, fed him pitches, fed him pitches. Nick Castellanos came up. And do you remember we had an interview with Chipper Jones earlier this year where Chipper talked about sometimes I'd go to the skipper and say, hey, give me 24 to 36 hours to work in something. And Chipper said, I always tell young hitters when they're scuffling, what's your base swing? Like, let's Mm -hmm. start with that. What does it look like when you feel good? Never mind what you're doing right now. What does it look like when you're feeling good? If you do reading on Trey Turner, that's exactly what he and Kevin Long did. They just had this session, and Kevin Long said, just swing. Like, how? what feels good? I'm, go out and do it right now in the cage. What feels good to you? Do whatever you want. But what was your base swing? And it's just it, it, the simplicity of that sometimes is, is remarkable to someone who hasn't played the game. It makes so much sense, but it seems that guys sometimes just outthink themselves. Right. Yeah, how did go you get back to the big and, and let's start with what you have and build from there. How did you get to the big leagues? Like, what's, exactly. what did the swing look like? Yeah, you got here for a reason because you know how to play and you're very athletic. You got a quick bat. You got good length to your swing. You know, you're anchored. Yeah, stop thinking about what you're not doing and think about what you do yeah. well. And if you do that and you can repeat it, that'll get you closer to your A swing over and over and over exactly. again. There's something to being simple, Jeff. Oh, boy, Don't oh boy there is. It. Do not overthink it. That is, uh, boy, more than if I've learned anything this year from watching the local team, don't overthink it. That should be what they put in their T-shirts next year. Never mind next level. Put on don't overthink it. Uh, That is it for us today. We'll be back from 11 to noon Eastern tomorrow as always. If you're listening to us via podcast, please rate and review. Enjoy the baseball.